All right, everybody. All right. Well, hey, listen, my name is uh, Jeff Baker, and I'm one of the pastors on staff. I'm really glad you guys decided to come out today. Thanks for being here uh, in our first service, and for all of you that are watching online as well, currently right now. We are uh, in our current series called Vision. This is week three. We're looking at Joshua chapter five. I've been personally inspired by this young, passionate a courageous leader that's willing to step out, lead God's people. He's leading a million people um, into a brand new place. I just think that that's, that's pretty exciting. I feel a little bit like Joshua, a new leader, a young leader um, with an incredible gift called New Life. And I uh, just want to make sure that we lead. We lead with godly intent and we lead where God wants to take us. Now, before we get into today's message, you were told about <clears throat> the service is going to happen in Yanny Park on July 7th, right? <clears throat> All right. Well, what I want to do for you is I want to tell you what I'm going to speak about. The message is going to be titled Lost and Found. Lost and Found. I'm going to preach out of Luke chapter 15. Now, why would I be telling you that? Um, so now you don't have to show up or you can make a decision now? No, I'm telling you because I want you to be empowered. All right. July the 7th is a message that you're definitely going to want to bring any of your friends that don't currently attend church or outside of a relationship with God, you want to bring them to Yanny Park that day as we talk about an encouraging message from Luke chapter 15, Lost and Found. Um, in that passage, basically what, what I'm going to drive home is the fact that something was lost that had great value. It had, it had such value that it warranted an all-out search. All the resources that could be provided were used to search for it. First, there was a coin. And there was a sheep that was lost. Then there was a son that was lost. And when every one of those valuable items that was lost were found, there was a great celebration. That's God's heart towards humanity. You know, we all have been lost. And as we've been found, have given our lives to Christ, there's a great celebration. So that's going to be the intent of the message. What I need you to do is bring all of your, all your friends. What a better place to bring them. You don't have to bring them through the scary doors of the church. You can bring them into the friendly the friendly place of the park, all right? And afterwards, we can have a picnic and we'll just kick back and, and have a good time. So please, you got a couple of weeks, be praying about asking God to open up some doors, invite a few friends to lost and found, okay? Are you with me? All right, very good, very good. So have you ever, have you ever been like me? Have you ever had someone who wanted to help you with a project and they were just passionate about wanting to help you with a project, but they weren't super knowledgeable about the project. And so because they weren't, they got certain pieces out of sequence. So in their intent to help, they really only made the project more difficult. You ever had people like that? Maybe you were working on projects like these and you wanted to build a shower, but your buddy decided to put the electrical panel in the shower. That wouldn't work very well. Or projects like this, you know, wow, now that wasn't that wasn't super smart to build a house where the telephone pole would be right in the middle of your driveway. Doesn't seem very smart. Or a project like that. That just doesn't work very well. It's hard to see people when you're looking through a TV screen. We use a security system. Or last but not least, what of what of a beautiful house with its own sledding hill? So when we work on projects without the proper knowledge, we get things out of sequence. And that's the same scenario that it happens in our spiritual life. 
in our spiritual life, we get things messed up because we get it out of sequence. What we want to do is we want to do things. We want to get action. Um, we want to start you know, getting our hands at work and start making things happen. We want, when we get saved, we want to go make a difference. And many times, even after salvation, many years, all we're really concerned about is what does God want me to do when God is always concerned about who he wants you to be? See, that's what God's intent is. God wants us to be holy more than he wants us to have to be concerned with doing things for him. So God's intent is that we would stay focused on him lest we get things out of sequence. See, that's where we come to 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. It says this to us. So, you and me, we must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You don't know any better then. You didn't know, excuse me, any better then. But now, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you, is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Holiness really means to dedicate yourself or to consecrate yourself to God. To consecrate would mean to make sacred. So to dedicate or to make yourself sacred before God. But listen to this. Because God is the one who's holy, that's the only way that you and me can become holy. And when we get that out of sequence, when we think, that it's us that makes ourselves holy, then we always fall flat on our face. The huge truth this morning to get started with is you've got to realize the right sequence is being with God, not doing things for God, and allowing a holy God to produce holiness in you, not you trying to show off with your spirituality to somehow look, make others think you're holy and to somehow convince God that you're holy. So for us to accomplish anything great at our church, we're going to have to have the right sequence. And the right sequence is not having this grandiose ideas that we just go out and start doing, but it's first coming to altars like this and going, God, how can you make me more holy? We can't be a people like 1 Peter 1 talks about that we slip back into our old ways. I love what it said there. You can't slip back into your old ways. Why? Because you know better. You know better. See, that's where sin gets us. We know better, but we do it anyways. And it's not just those occasional slips. It's the continual disobedience to God that grows callousness in our hearts that causes us to be out there doing things for God, but never really doing anything great because God's going, I want you to be holy with me. And the Israelites were at a place just like this. Um, they had crossed over the Jordan River, Right? The river had dried up. All of them crossed over. They turned around. They watched the water begin to flow again. And they realized there's no turning back. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And then they're sitting at this camp called Gilgal. They're there. They've got their, their tents are all, you know, up. And their fires are going. And, you know, there's food that's happening. And, you know, people are running around taking care of things. And their intent is, wow, God, look what you just did. You opened up the rivers. Now we need to get on about the business. We've got all kinds of momentum. We need to get out there and drive out the people that are in this promised land and really take it over. You can only imagine after 40 years, you know, of setting up your tent and then tearing it down and moving a couple miles over here and then setting up your tent. And then maybe, you know, a couple of weeks later, pulling up the stakes and moving a few miles over here and then setting up your tent. You can only imagine 
year after year after year of that, you're finally in the promised land. You're, fi- you're finally where God called you to be. Couldn't you be human for a moment and just assume with me that those guys were human, which they were, that they wanted just to build homes, have a community, have some stability, not be moving all over the place. Can't you imagine that with me? I can see that. I can see them wanting to get on about the business. You know, get out there and make things happen. Drive out the enemy and set up shop and go, our land is finally our land. But Joshua chapter 5 tells us that God had something else that he wanted to do first. So if you've got a Bible or you're on version, version is nice because all you have to do is just scroll with your thumb, you know? So, But if you've got to flip pages, then Joshua is in the Old Testament. Get at the beginning of it. Start flipping back you know, a few books, and you'll run flat into Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says this was God's intent for them. Pay attention carefully. It says, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived among the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so that the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart, and they were paralyzed with fear because of them, the Israelites. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives, and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. And notice very quickly, I can only, I put myself into the shoes of the Israelites and I can only assume that I just crossed over, I want to go attack the enemy and let's get on with this thing. And God comes to them and he and even helps them see and understand. You, you need to know something. The reports coming back from these kings of these armies are they are in great fear. In fact, the city of Jericho has closed all of its gates. No one's coming or going because of such fear of the Israelites that are living now just a couple miles away from them. In fact, it says in the passage that the kings had lost heart and they were paralyzed with fear. Now, if you're a general of an army, isn't this a good time to attack? Yeah. This is the moment you want to get out there and attack. You've got an enemy that's fearful. So any general would be standing here like I am right now going, let's attack. You know what I'm tempted to do as a leader? I'm tempted just to go, there's all kinds of ideas racing around in my mind. Let's go implement them all right now. I understand that feeling that Joshua has where I look at such an incredible church with resources and amazing people and such need in our community. And I just go, let's get out there and Boom, 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 here's the steps, one, two, three, and let's go attack, and let's, let's go love people. But instead, God says to them, no, what I want you to do is circumcise all the men. They had not done that for 40 years. 40 years. So here they are camped two miles away from Jericho, and God says, no, I, what I want you to do is I want you to do an act that's going to make you holy. So the big question right now is, are the Israelites going to battle Or are they going to bow down? Which one are they going to do? That's what's before them. Battle or bow down. And Israelites were a very interesting people. They they turned on a dime against God. God brought them through the Red Sea. And just a little while later, you see them making a gold calf. What in the world? God just opened up the ocean for you. And you guys don't have faith enough to believe? You know? So they were very fickle. And they could go back and forth. And this was very much a test of God. Are you going to battle or bow down? If you're, if you're a mom or a dad in here, you know the battle that we're talking about right now. Because if you've raised kids, you know that defiant nature inside of kids, right? Where you tell them, okay, now, Johnny, don't 
don't touch, don't touch that, that cake. Don't touch the cake. And Johnny's over there, and he's staring at the cake, and you can see him stare at the cake and then look at you, and you warn him, you tell him, don't, don't touch that cake. I'm telling you, keep your little paws off that cake. That thing's iced, and it's ready to go. And Johnny looks at the cake, and Johnny looks at you, and he starts to reach for the cake, and you say, don't touch the cake. And Johnny, with a smile on his face, reaches up, he grabs a piece of the cake, and he's got icing all over his face. And now he's wondering, so what are you going to do about it? He wants to see, are you serious or are you not? He wants to know, you know, is this a real line or is this a fake line? Sometimes, though, Johnny wouldn't touch the cake. You know, because he, he had that reverent fear. So it was, is Johnny going to battle or is Johnny going to bow down? God has the Israelites at this place of a test. Are you going to battle or are you going to bow down? Really what he's looking for, are you going to follow holiness or are you going to follow man? Which one are you going to do? Your grandiose ideas or my ideas? And holiness, holiness, God was bringing them to a point of understanding that holiness starts with a willingness to obey. And you go back to that 1 Peter 1.14 chapter, it tells us, it says that, that we knew better. We knew better. And see, you and me, we know what, what's holy and what's not. If you're here today, holiness is what the Holy Spirit has shown you through God's Spirit and God's Word. That's what holiness is. Holiness is not a list that's been made by man. It's not a list that man came up with. They said, do these things and God will be pleased with you. Holiness is simply you as an individual seeking after the, the truth of God through his word and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Today, while I'm preaching, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you so that you will come to a point where you know the best and you choose to follow it. That's holiness. You need to remember today, just like I started the sermon out, God's God's interested in in us focusing our best attention on being and not focusing on doing. I encourage you today, focus your attention on being who God wants you to be and you'll end up doing what God wants you to do. You focus your attention on doing things for God and you'll never be who God wants you to be. That's the difference between seeking after God and His holiness or seeking after man and man's ways. And the Israelites found themselves in this place. And you know what? We're at that same place. We are at a place where there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of encouragement and there's a lot of, you know, people just going, man, I'm praying and I'm expecting God. You know, I just think God's going to do something amazing. And all kinds of ideas are coming from that heart. You know, with all types of practical outreach ideas, the things that we should do in here and how we should change up the service order and, you know, all the ideas that man can come up with that will be just the changes so that somehow the community will be attracted. Just to, They'll have to just flood in here. They'll have to sell tickets for Sunday morning. We practice all of our ideas. Just being facetious. But God's going, it's not about all your ideas. It's about getting the first thing first. And that is obey me and have a heart that's willing to seek holiness. Less on doing, more on, be, on being. But obedience comes with a price, which is one of the reasons why we avoid it often. And that price is called surrender. See, I'm going to do a shock. This is a shock moment for all of us. All right? But believe it or not, the physical, the physical you know, surgery of circumcision hurts when you're 30 years old, when you're 20 years old, 
there's pain. And these boys were getting ready to experience pain if they were going to obey. There was going to be an incredible amount of surrender that was going to bring pain. In fact, it says in Joshua chapter 5, verse 8, that after all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Now remember, they were only two miles away from the greatest enemy they have experienced and or seen in the last 40 years. And the healing process after the surgery was going to at least take three, seven days for them to ever get back to a point where they were going to be able to fight, and they still wouldn't be at 100% then. So basically what God's saying to the Israelites is this. Two miles away from the greatest enemy you've experienced in the last 40 years, I want you to demobilize all of your fighting men. And I want you to sit there vulnerable before the greatest enemy you've seen. Knowing that in a matter of about 15 minutes, the entire army of Jericho could march over the hill and overtake you and just take you down. But what I'm interested in is this. Are you going to surrender to me, Joshua? people of Israel, are you going to surrender to me and trust me? Are you going to allow me to be your God or are you going to pursue something else? I can only imagine that in the camp, you know, someone pipes up, you know, one of those quick thinkers. They pipe up and they say something like, man, what's the problem with God? Couldn't God have asked us to do this when we were on the other side of the Jordan? He could have asked us to do this anytime he wanted to. Why didn't he do it when it was more safe? Why did he wait till we all got over here and then the water started to flow? Here we are. There's no turning back. Oh, by the way, before we attack, let's take a few days and just sit sit vulnerable before our enemies. You can only imagine. Some people are thinking to themselves, this God is crazy. You know, I don't know if I want to follow him. Some of those younger guys are definitely thinking to themselves, I thought the days of circumcision were over. Now you're telling me I got to face one of my greatest fears. This is ridiculous. But see, here's the deal. If you surrender, if you surrender at that point, then basically what you're saying is that, God, you're going to be my ultimate, my ultimate authority. I'm going to follow you more than I'm going to follow anyone. I'm going to give you ultimate control. See, surrender wouldn't be true surrender if there wasn't an enemy that was right over the hill to attack. Many times our fear keeps us from surrendering. Oh, we want to obey in our heart, and we know what to obey, But the surrender part doesn't really kick in because of some of the fear and the intimidation. That's where the Israelites found themselves. Trying to give God ultimate control. Well, if you are a parent here, and many times the dad starts this project and the mom finishes it for a lot of patience reasons, but have you ever tried to teach one of your kids how to drive? You know, dad starts it, mom finishes it a lot of times. Our dad finishes it, and congratulations to you. But you start trying to teach them as much as you can about the car when it's just sitting still. Are you right? Right? I mean, here's the car. It's in the safety of the garage. Sit in it. Here's what. Here's how things work. This is what you're going to do. But sooner or later, you've got to drive the car to a parking lot. You get out. They get in with no cars around, somewhere hopefully in the middle of the night, and just drive. And all you're telling them to do is just drive, and please don't hit any of the light posts. Right? So out they do, and they drive. And you get a couple of days worth of that, and then eventually what you have to do is you have to give them ultimate control. And to give them ultimate control means you have to get out on the real road with real drivers. You're sitting in the passenger seat, not one of those dummy cars with an extra steering wheel and a brake pedal. It's your car. 
that you paid hard-earned money for, you're not even sure if your insurance covers this moment, and out you go, and you've got to give them ultimate control. And that's a scary moment. And on the inside of you, there's got to be some questions. I hope they're ready, you know, because here we go. And that's what God's looking for in a heart of surrender. God's looking for you and me to really, truly put him in the driver's seat and to leave him there. And to do that, you have to let down your fears like they had to let down their fears of sitting two miles away from a great enemy. Or you have to give up your agenda. Their agenda, let's just go conquer the land. No, sit and become holy. It's going to take a few days. It's going to take some time. I just want to test your heart. I want to see where you're at. Or we have to, like they did in verse 8, rest in God's wisdom. Guys, let's just admit it. I mean, this life takes some weird twists and turns. And we have to come to a point where we're just going to rest in God's wisdom or we get anxious. And when we get anxious, we go do our own thing. And that's not surrender. That's called our independence and our rebellion. But real peace in our life is going to be found when we surrender to God. Why? The reason why you're going to find more peace when you surrender to God is because God's more interested in our surrender than he is in our service. We get caught up on what we can do for God. God's interested in, in who, who we are. How we are being before him. So remember, God's always more interested in your surrender than he is your service. We've got to get those things flipped and bring them back. But when we surrender, then the authority of God can be something that we cherish. See, once the circumcisions happened in the camp, which they followed through and they did them. They did them all. All right? Very good, Joshua. Way to obey. Way to slow the jets down on your leadership and just let God be God. And they obeyed, and the healing time had an opportunity to run its course. This is what happened in verse 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today, these are powerful words, Today I've rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. Why? Because you obeyed and you surrendered. And once again, you became holy in my eyes through that act at that moment of circumcision. So God rolled it away. He pulled the veil back off of them. Forty years later, forty years later, as they stand in the promised land, it's pulled back off of them. That's a weight lifted off their shoulders. So that place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal, place where the stone was rolled away. A roll away. Verse 10, while the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, look what they did. They celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. This is significant. They haven't done this for 39 years. What does God ask them to do when they celebrate Passover? He's asking them to go back and to remember, He is holy. They celebrate the Passover for the first time in the promised land to remember that God's the one that brought them, delivered them. He was their Savior that brought them out of Egypt. Brought them out of slavery. They go back and they remember the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, the authority of God who showed up in the house of Pharaoh and did miracle after miracle after miracle that caused Pharaoh to go, let these people go. That was a miracle. The authority of God at work beyond what man could do. God brought his people to a place where they worshiped him as supreme authority. Notice what happened, though. In their hearts. What happens in their hearts through the celebration of Passover 
is that there is a closeness brought to God. Why? Because worship brings a closeness to God. When we come into this place to seek the ultimate supreme authority of God, to let God be the authority of our lives, not just to go through a a religious routine, then God becomes close to us. God draws near to our hearts. Not about singing songs and just hearing someone preach. It's about coming and going, you're my authority, that's why I'm here. And church, we need to come into this place because God's our authority, not because the doors are open. The old school days of church was the doors were open, we better be there. Oh, we got to be there. Doors are open. Open Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and everything else they do. got to be there. Maybe we just drove ourselves to the bone trying to do what we thought was right. God's saying in this passage, if you want closeness to me, then let me be your authority. That's an act of the heart. All of this has been an act of the heart. Circumcision doesn't happen as a baby to honor God anymore. It's the circumcision of the heart that honors God now. It's the obedience and the cutting away of the pieces that aren't holy and allowing, the, allowing a holy God to be our ultimate authority in our hearts now. That's where holiness is found. Let the authority of God draw close to you today as we worship Him. Or otherwise, sin separates us from God. That's why God's going, circumcise yourself, become holy. Because before you go marching through the land, if you don't have your heart right with me, before we go and we conquer and we see God do great victories in Carney, God wants us to draw close to him so that sin doesn't separate us. What happens when, or at least this happens in my house, okay? I come home. My wife had been gone for about a week and a half while our youngest daughter, um, you know, had one of our, our grandchildren. So we had a little girl on Wednesday. Yeah, she'll be here actually. So yeah, yeah, I think that's awesome. We're clapping, Christian, for you. Well done. Um, and we're clapping for God. Thank you, God, for a healthy baby. But they'll be here, so you'll be able to, you know, hug them and kiss them and all that kind of stuff, all right? So we'll have an open house where you can come by and see the grandchildren. I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, you know, when I go home, and I was, I was watching our dog, Roxy, all right? With Roxy and I have a, uh, it's an interesting relationship, you know? She knows she needs me for food and I know I need her for my wife. So it's a mutual relationship where we kind of get along with one another. And I can always tell when Roxy has definitely done something that she knows wasn't right when I got home. It's the, I don't greet you at the door. I'm hiding in some corner. You know, the rear of the dog is down low and the tail is tucked tightly underneath. You always know when you see that, hmm, something's not right with you. Something's wrong in the house. I better go find it. Something's been chewed up. Some little gifts have been left around. Who knows what's happened? Something didn't go right. You know that same thing happened with my kids? If you were a parent again, you remember these moments where you, you would see your kids and you could just tell by the countenance on their face. And the first words out of your mouth is this. What did you do? Come on, just tell me. I know, I know you did something that wasn't right. What did you do? And you can just tell, right? And that act that the dog did, it separated itself from me. It didn't run to the door. And the act that our kids did separated them from us. And it caused them not to be as open and as loving and as honest. And many times they may have been hiding for some period of time in their room or at their friend's house because they knew that what they have done wasn't right. The same thing happens with our sin. 
it separates us from God. And it causes us to grow at a distance from Him. And it causes us to stay away from Sundays. And some of you are watching online today because the guilt and the shame of your sin is hindering you from walking through the doors. Because you're afraid of looking like a hypocrite. And so you're sitting there and you're watching it because there's something in your heart that wants to obey and it wants to surrender and you want God to be your authority, but you just have a hard time getting past that. Some of you are here today with the shame and the guilt of sin resting upon your shoulders today and it's separating you from God. So when we come into a moment of worship, you don't feel free to worship Him because what's going through your mind is the guilt and the shame of your sin. Guys, God wants to break that guilt and shame. But He can only do that if you allow Him to be the authority. In your heart, come to Him and go, God, I want You to be my Lord, my King, and my Ruler. So the action of authority, keeping God as authority, is confession and repentance of sins. It's the sacrifice of Christ that we we honor through the confessions of sin. Jesus, You died on the cross that I might be set free. It was the act of the Passover That caused them to remember it was the act of a holy, righteous, supreme God who delivered them and set them free from Egypt. It's the same act today of a righteous, holy Christ who gave his life on the cross and us coming back and confessing and repenting to him establishes his authority. It restores a closeness to God. It restores a closeness to God and it restores the authority of God in our life. Let's remember today, God cares more about his authority than your authority. God cares way more about His authority in your life than your authority on this earth. Than your authority as a dad or a mom or as a boss or as a worker or as a title of this or a title of that. Those things don't matter to God as much as His authority in your life. But which one do we pay more attention to? Our authority. And all those things separate us from a holy, righteous God and allowing Him to be our supreme authority. So we have to come back. So when we're willing to live to obey God and we willfully surrender and come under the authority of God, then we set ourselves up for a fresh revelation of God. Shortly after the Israelites celebrated the Passover, this is what happened in verse 13. This revelation took place. It says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Pause there for a moment. He sees a man with a sword in his hand, and what does Joshua do? He goes up to him. I love this about this guy. You know, some people would see a man with a sword in hand and they would go hide and behind the rock. Who are you? But Joshua just goes up to him and goes, who are you, friend or foe? I mean, he just had this strong and courageous from weeks ago that we talked about of this holy God and what God was going to do. And he, and he, has, he just had celebrated the Passover, honoring of God. He was full of God at this moment and with such confidence. So verse 14 says this, that this person responds, neither one, he replied. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. Joshua says, I'm at your command. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Notice what happens after Joshua obeys. He surrenders. And he desires 
to establish God as his authority again through that act of that Passover. Notice what happens in this revelation. Joshua comes face to face with the angel of the Lord. How many people get to have a revelation of a real life angel standing before them? How many of you have had that ultimate, powerful opportunity? Not very many. There's few in the Bible. Few in the Bible, although angels seem to show up, you know, at pretty interesting moments. But what's so interesting about this angel, there's a couple of things. Number one, this angel proclaims to be the what? The commander of whose army? The Lord's army. And what's the second thing that this angel says to him? The ground you are standing on is holy. Take off your sandals. When was the only other time in the Bible that someone was told the ground you're standing on is holy? Take off your sandals. Moses. Moses at the burning bush meeting with God. A lot of theologians believe as I do. This angel, the commander of the Lord's army, who declared it's fine for you to bow down in my presence and even to worship, which most times when you saw angels said, don't worship me, stand. There's one that's greater than me. This one says, it's okay, bow down, take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. But here's the unique thing. Joshua sees him face to face. The Bible says no one sees God face to face. Moses didn't even see God face to face. But a lot of theologians believe, like I believe, this was the Son of God in spirit form, way before his birth, standing in front of Joshua, giving him a fresh revelation. This was what the New Testament proclaims as the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, standing before Joshua, going, I'm the commander of the Lord's army, and you're on holy ground. And Joshua bows down and says, I'm your servant. I'll do whatever you want me to do. What a powerful moment. Just imagine with me this revelation of this powerful angelic being that Joshua can't define. He doesn't know who he is. He just knows he's in the presence of God. And he's filled with great joy. When you're in the presence of God and there's a revelation of God happening, it can't help but put a smile on your face. Joshua goes from courageous to humble, but in his heart, peace joy, security, and confidence. Notice what happens here. Moses, his leader, goes up on top of Mount Sinai and sees the backside of God. So transformed that he comes down off the mountain and his face is glowing and the people go, could you please cover that mugshot up a little bit? But Joshua, because he obeys and he surrenders and he establishes the authority of God, And he comes back and he aligns his life with him. And instead of doing his own agenda, he does what God wants him to do. Has a revelation of God where he sees the face of the Son of Man. Son of God. That's right. He will never see the face of God the Father. But humanity has seen the face of God the Son in the New Testament. It shouldn't be a surprise that man would be able to see at a moment like this the face of God of the Son of Man again. Joshua was a man who experienced a joyful revelation that day. A joyful revelation. It's the kind of revelation that God wants to show you and me. He wants to show us who the real Christ is. He wants to open our eyes up to who the real Jesus is. Not just some facade or plastic Christ. Some religious Christ 
that we're trying to achieve, you know, favor in by doing religious acts. He wants to show us the real Jesus. The one who's got a smile on his face, who wants to wrap his arms around you, to embrace you right where you're at, and take you farther than you've ever been before. To help you love like you've never loved before. Help you know God like you've never known him before. To wipe away the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that separates you and me from God because of our sin. To do that requires obedience, surrender, and allowing God to be the ultimate authority. Church, we can't stay where we are. We can't stay where we are. We have to keep pressing forward to live our lives more holy before God. And let me be clear with you. You may be, you may be on the team with a new, a new leader and a younger leader. And one that some might say, wow, now that guy has got a good connect with the current culture. So maybe some things will change. Make it, maybe make some things easier. Maybe redefine some ways that we see God and we live before God. I want you to know today, just because we have a new leader doesn't mean God's changed. Just because we have a new leader in a world where the world continues to slip farther and farther away from God does not mean that the standard of holiness has changed. The vision of God for this church is to establish and maintain and continue to you know, cheerlead the life of holiness before God. And I encourage you to pursue holiness so that you might have a fresh revelation of God that will bring joy to your hearts. Desire with me to live a life of holiness in a world that only seems to be turning darker. Live a life that lets the light of Jesus shine brighter. And I'm telling you, it will be like a beacon in this world. We have to stop the slippery slope of following the world by staying only a couple of steps above it in our righteousness. We have to return back to the place before we're ever going to see God do anything great. We have to return to a heart that goes, God, I want purity in my heart. I want to have my heart circumcised before you. I want to live pure before you. God, I'm willing to give up the stubborn sin of my life. And then we'll experience a reward that is great. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, says it this way. For the, mo- for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I'm sure that's the way it felt in the Israelite camp. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's be trained by it. It produces a fruit of righteousness. That will bring joy to your face. Joy to your heart. And when joy is brought to your heart and to your face, seriously, it needs to be brought there. When joy is brought to your heart and to your face, then out in the community, that's when they start going, who are you? You intrigue me. I want to know more about you because you have joy both in your heart and on your face, and it's not plastic. But for Joshua, that meant holiness had to precede the conquest. Remember, inside of all of us, we want to be doers. God wants us to be beers. So what is it that God is asking us to make holy before he's going to give us the victories. What is God asking us to make holy before he's going to give us the victories? Next week, I'm going to talk about being battle ready as the, Israel, as the Israelites actually go and they conquer you know, Jericho. They have a victory. But that victory only came after their acts of holiness. What is it that God's asking you to be more holy in so that we as a church can be more victorious? 
See, because that's where it comes down to. It's not about some corporate act like it was in the Old Testament. Now the Holy Spirit lives in you. And what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today that needs to be more holy so that collectively as a church, we can be more pure and see the victories that God has for our future? Because let's be real today. They won't be revived until we are renewed. And once we are renewed, then the world can be revived. And if we want to see revival of the lost coming to know Jesus, we have to be renewed. So why don't you stand with me today? And I just want you to stand with, a, with an attitude that just goes, okay, God, what is it in me that you're wanting to make more holy so that we can see the victories that you have before us? Before we get all excited and passionate about moving forward and just conquering things for God, what is it that God wants to make more holy in you so that we can experience greater victories? Let's pray together. Father, we stand before you knowing that, Lord, if we obey you, wow, joy is found there. If we surrender to you, peace is found there. If our authority is found in you, and we stop fighting, and we start having fresh revelations of your power and your authority and your grace at work inside of us. But Lord, it boils down to one simple question. In what ways do each of us as individuals need to become more holy so, Lord, we can experience the great victories that you have before us? Well, that's one of the things you've called this church to. You're calling this church to maintain its holiness before you. No, not to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect. But we're to maintain that type of a desire in our hearts because where that desire is found, fresh revelation of you is found. And Lord, you know we need it and the world needs to hear how we're experiencing you. God, come and show us who you are. Let the manifest presence of your spirit flow through this place as we worship you. Lord, may we come to altars like this as hungry people Just coming to altars going, we're hungry people. And God, we're laying down our lives. For each of us, it's going to look different. For each of us, that place of holiness looks different. Lord, if we respond and say yes to you, then you'll allow us to experience the victories of our future. That'll be tremendous, powerful, and great. Beyond, beyond our ability to determine them now. Beyond our expectation once we're there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Church today, as the worship team leads us, let's make these altars a humble place for God's people, for God's people to come with a heart that just goes, God, I want to be more holy before you. That's all it is. It's a humbled act of going, just like the Israelites, they, they submitted themselves to circumcision. We submit ourselves today, God humbling ourselves before you that you would make us whole. Let's use altars like this today during worship just to come and say, God, I need to be more holy before you so that victories can be won, so that the lost can be won into your kingdom. Let's respond to God today.